One day I'm going to go off on a rant about how everybody tweets uh, highlights of him catching a slant and getting tackled right away. <laughs> but, but but look at his hands. Yeah, the world's not ready for it yet, I don't think. Welcome one and all to episode 102 of the original Draft Breakdown podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon, and, and Justin, we're officially back. Uh, we dropped our first show last week, uh, thanks to our producer, Robert Bond. Uh, did a great job of splicing together uh, the audio. We had some technical difficulties throughout, and but it ended up not hurting us at all, and Robert did a great job, and we appreciate that. And now uh, we're on to... Well, our new kind of plan and platform and what we're going to do uh, going forward here. So, Yeah, that's right. I'm excited for this week because we're going to do uh, two shows. We've rarely done that. And way back, you have to go back a few years for to see when we were doing a couple shows per week. But um, I'm really excited about uh, doing a show. We're, it's going to come out on uh, this one will come out on Tuesday, and then we're going to have another one for our Patreon members on Friday. And I've also got a, a cool article in the works for Friday as well, for later in the week as well. So uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at DB underscore pod and on Instagram, DB underscore pod, so that you can find out where when we're going to be dropping those Patreon episodes. Um, that site should be live probably Wednesday or Thursday this week, so I'm excited. Yeah, and, and this week we're going to look at another uh, combine, I guess, uh, training combine. The HOA combine uh, was held in Florida. This one you and I feel uh, slightly better about we, we because we got to actually see some footage, um, something that we'll talk about a little bit tonight an agent responded to us and, and kind of made a good case about what, what numbers you should listen to. Uh, and then, uh, and then we'll discuss a little bit of Todd McShay's uh, mock draft 3.0, where he goes a little crazy with the quarterback situation. Um, and, and it's, it'll be interesting to see if, if that's where, this is headed, uh, and then we'll wrap it up with a couple hot takes, as always. But we're in episode 102, and, you know, when you look at the HOA Combine, the numbers were good, uh, but they weren't over-the-top great. You had a guy like Eric Stokes, who was a sub-4-3 guy, but Eric Stokes was a what all american sprinter in high school um, right stokes it, ran a, a 10 3 900 meters in high school so it is not it's not a huge surprise that this guy ran a smoking fast 40 yard dash and uh, and tested out well so and, and so you look at that those numbers those numbers you felt a little more comfortable about and, and you know a friend of ours that is an agent in the league uh, greg linton um, you know, we asked last week, you know, we talked about it quite a bit on the, on the X's and O's, the X's, Exos and O's show, um, 
we discussed the fact that, you know, can you trust these numbers? And Greg brought up a great point. He's like, hey, if there's video, absolutely, you can trust it because you're at least able to kind of see what's going on. But that was kind of the issue with the Exos Combine versus the HOA Combine. Now, we didn't get to see everybody run and all the numbers and all of that, but we did get to see more from there um, in, in the HOA workouts uh, that makes you feel just a little more confident that those numbers aren't crazy. Yeah, I feel like the numbers were more legitimate, more credible because there was camera footage and uh, we saw this this event being covered by the draftnetwork.com. So I think when, you know, I did have some problems with some of the numbers though. Uh, Chaz Surratt initially ran a, was timed at a 4.72 and that got adjusted all the way down to 4.64. Eric Stokes, as you said, 4.28, uh, that was adjusted only from 4.25. So I'm a little more skeptical when it's almost a tenth of a second adjustment is being made. But we also saw LSU cornerback Kerry Vincent run a 4.3940. And then we saw Iowa receiver Brandon Smith with a 4.56. So that's a more realistic time. Smith is a phenomenal athlete. He had a 44-inch vertical and he had a, a broad jump of 11 feet 4 inches. So you know he's an explosive guy, but that then the 40 is realistic. So I felt like HOA gave us legitimate numbers, but they they just kind of maybe protected what numbers they did give us. They didn't give us every number, I don't think. So more legitimate, yes. Uh, definitely more credible, more believable than Exos uh, the week prior to that. And on, on a Friday show, we're going to talk a little bit about how they're going to do the actual quote-unquote combine we know it's not being held as usual in indianapolis but we're going to talk about the actual combine invites and how they plan to run those drills so i feel like uh, we saw uh, trevor sikama from the draft network tweet out that they had people timing the 40s at uh, hoa that have worked the combines the the actual nfl combines so that get, does give it that that sense of uh, realism that we were lacking last week when we were just kind of like, all right, add add a tenth of a second or 0.15 to these 40 times. Um, I didn't get that feeling this time that I needed to do that. I felt like I was getting good information. Well, and, and as you said, you had HOA was careful, I think is the best way to put it in what information they released and showed so again these these companies are in it to make money it's not like they're just in it to host a combine uh, they're training these players and then allowing them to work out and so for that reason you know again you're going to only see the great numbers uh you know four five six for for smith the wide receiver is not you know the best but when you put his overall combine performance um all together you're basically blown away with how athletic of a player he was exactly he's he's not the fastest guy and, and you could tell that in watching the iowa 
footage, but I tweeted out a couple of highlight real catches that he made while he was at Iowa. He was underused. And when you see a guy run a four, five, six, but he puts those other numbers together with it, that it, those explosive numbers, the jumps, that gives you, um, you know, that, that raises awareness on that player who may have gone undrafted and now he's, uh, he's probably a day three flyer at least in the later rounds. When you look at some of the numbers coming out of the HOA combine, we talked about Eric Stokes and the and the day he had. Um, our buddy Kyle Posey is big on his counterpart from Georgia, Tyson Campbell, but he also has said numerous times that he sees both of those guys, Stokes and Campbell, being NFL starters. Maybe they're not, you know, cornerback ones, but they're definitely going to be guys that play and have success for a long time in the NFL. Uh, when you look at when you look at Stokes, the the speed was never a question, as you said. I mean, all American sprinter coming out of high school, uh, but the way he plays is so incredibly fast that. It, it's just sometimes the numbers that come out, you're like, oh, yeah, I definitely saw that on film. And, and it feels like Stokes and Smith were both those guys when you, when you watch, you know, watch the tape, so to speak. Right. And, and that's why I think this is more believable because it's not that, the, that I didn't believe that the players from, uh, that the players from Exos are, good players of course those are good players i felt like they were just i i really felt they juiced their numbers for no reason and they could have given us the real numbers as we talked about last week and we would have been satisfied with those and we would have nodded our head and said yeah that's that's seems right um with this i don't think there was really any surprises so uh smith we you could tell from his high school numbers and then translating that into Iowa's renowned strength and, and uh, training program that they have there where they regularly crank out high-end athletes. They, they'll they recruit guys like we've seen with uh, Brandon Scherf and, and George Kittle where the athletic base is there and then they get them trained up in the weight room and, and things like that. Smith's one of those guys. You, you knew he was probably going to do well. Uh, you knew Kerry Vincent was going to be a fast guy. You knew that Eric Stokes was going to be a fast guy. Does this put Eric Stokes into the first round? I mean, he's a guy that has good ball skills. He gets his hand on a lot of footballs. Um, not quite as many as, as some of the other guys in this class, like, like uh, Caleb Farley or J.C. Horn, but he does make plays on the ball as well. So it's, he's not just a fast guy who didn't produce at all. He's he's a fast guy. He's got some production on, and he's uh, – showing his speed on film, which is what you want to see. You want to see the film and the test add up. We see that on a guy like Eric Stokes. One more set of numbers that came out today. Uh, Matt Miller at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter uh, tweeted out that he got numbers from Ryan Capretta. Of He's a speed and, speed and uh, agility coach. And we saw some incredible numbers uh jason oa 
of Penn State and Micah Parsons of Penn State. Owa was laser timed at four three eight. Parsons at four four four. Um, J.C. Horn, the highly regarded South Carolina cornerback, was timed at four four two. These numbers this year just seem insane. Uh, and a lot of these guys opted out. Do you think that has something to do with it where, A, they're healthy, and but B, they've just already been training so much that they're, they've kind of gamed the system a little more? I mean, because... Even even the top guys really only get about two months of training um, throughout the offseason before the NFL Combine. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Jamar Chase last week. We don't have numbers on, on Chase, but he's a guy who opted out, and he's been able to dedicate himself fully to training. You can see he's put on a lot of good weight, if nothing else. Um, we've heard before in the past that the 40 yard dash is probably one of the easiest things to improve upon when you learn technique, sprinter techniques, and, uh, the start is, is really key in that. So it's not unbelievable that players that have had all, all season can improve their 40. I know Micah Parsons ran a, a four, six, six out of high school at the opening. And then he goes to Penn state, another school that's notorious for having a great strength program and getting guys, you know, phenomenal testing results. We saw it with Saquon Barkley, Mike, Mike Gesicki. And now I expect that we will see it with Micah Parsons and Jason Owe. Um, Owe's time, 4-3-8. We've heard that time before from Bruce Feldman when he did the freaks list. It's still un- a little <laughs> unbelievable. It's still, I- I'm in a believe it when I see it mode with that one. But I, I really wouldn't doubt it because Penn State does have, they do produce these athletes year in and year out. And the, the J.C. Horn time, 4-3-9 hand, 4-4-2 laser. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to be a fast guy. He's a corner. So and that, and that one's, I mean, to be fair, and this isn't to take away anything from O.A. Or, or Parsons, but the Horn one just seems the most realistic. I mean, yeah. A, a four three eight forty for a six four two hundred fifty six pound outside linebacker, you know, pass rusher is just it's insane. Yeah, it it is, and you know what? One thing that Matt Miller offered to give this some legitimacy was that uh, Capetta or Capretta was the one who correctly timed Isaiah Simmons last year at four three eight. But even if you have all that speed, you got to be able to do something with it. And uh, Simmons wasn't really able to get on the field too much this year with the Cardinals. And Owe had decent tackle for loss numbers this year. He had five and a half sacks the year before, but he had no sacks this year. So we've got to be able to, it, it would be phenomenal to see a guy that big run that fast. But we also can't, we, we already knew, uh, again, as I said, Feldman told us, always a freak we know Penn State produces these freak athletes and I, I think it was uh, Josh Norris who used to be with NBC Sports who used to say don't count it twice I think he was the one that, that said but I know other 
uh, scouts have said it too. Don't count it twice. We already knew Owe is going to be athletic. So what if he runs a four four six? He's that's still fast as hell. So yeah, anything um, sub four five for right. guys. Even if it was four five, I mean, that, right. that's a, a big guy running very fast. We knew that about him. Can he translate that into sacks? I think that's what we want to know. And I mean, at this rate, you might as well just move him to receiver and let him. <laughs> but go worth the noting DK that a Metcalf route. Yeah, but worth noting of those three guys that we mentioned, Oa, uh, Horn, and Parsons. Only Parsons opted out of the season fully. So, um, I think there is something to it that guys had more. You know, there's a difference between playing eight games in a season or seven, or even ten, and playing thirteen, fourteen, all the way up into almost the middle of January if you're a playoff team. So. We didn't see as much of that this year. Even Ohio State, who played for the national championship and lost to Alabama, they only played eight games. So you're going to have less wear and tear on these guys. Um, that that might work out and where we are going to see better numbers. Next up, we're going to take a look at uh, Todd McShay's Mock Draft 3.0. And we don't usually look at mock drafts, but this was just – this was really enlightening to look at just because – McShay's a bit of an insider in what he might be hearing. Uh, that's up next on the Original Draft Breakdown podcast. We're back on the Original Draft Breakdown podcast, and, and let's take a look at Todd McShay's Mock Draft 3.0. Um, we've heard from, I mean, at this point, Trevor Lawrence is going to the Jaguars. That's that's a foregone conclusion. There would have to be... Um, Laramie Tunsil like footage of him smoking weed out of a gas mask, right? To for him to not be the top pick in this draft, and and even then, still, I think he might be. Um, but number two almost seems locked in at this point uh, with with Zach Wilson. The question becomes, who picks Wilson? Uh, we know that. The Jets are interested in Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, and you and I have heard from people we trust that if if the Texans were to move on, Wilson is the guy they've identified as being the quarterback that they would want to um, take over that spot. So, yeah, and I used to I used to not believe those kind of things until a couple of years ago. When uh, we heard all of this, the smoke about Kyler Murray, and uh, the year before that, all of the smoke about uh, John Dorsey loving Baker Mayfield, and those two things went all the way through and took us all the way up to draft day, and ended up those guys both ended up being the one on one. So when I do hear things like that now, especially through the channels that that we're seeing this information, I do tend to believe it. When you look at McShay's mock and what caught our eye was the trade-ups. So Lawrence goes to the Jags. uh, Zach Wilson goes to the New York Jets. He has the Carolina Panthers trading up with the Miami Dolphins. Miami sits with the third pick thanks to their trade uh, with with the Houston Texans, the Laramie Tunsil deal. Um, And they trade up, or the Panthers trade up with the Dolphins to take Justin Fields. 
Um, one, we've discussed, you know, Fields is basically battling now with, it seems like all three guys, Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones, to be that quarterback three. But with this trade, um, playing for Matt Rule and Joe Brady, doesn't that feel like maybe a best-case scenario for for Fields? Yeah, I, it's a pairing I've uh, actually tweeted about a few times. It's something I would love to see. And, you know, we saw Joe Burrow go from Ohio State's offense with Urban Meyer. He goes to uh, – he transfers to LSU. He has a – middling season as a redshirt junior because he barely had any time to get acclimated to LSU before he became their starting quarterback. But then he gets united with Joe Brady for his final season at LSU, and it's magic. You know, he sets the record for touchdowns. They win a national championship. He he, He becomes the first overall pick. Now take Justin Fields, who's a player, and I, I'm a big Joe Burrow guy, but Justin Fields is a better overall prospect in terms of his athleticism, his build, uh, his youth, his, uh, his, I, I believe his arm strength is better as well. So you put all those things together and I think Justin Fields can do all of the same things that Joe Burrow did. I'm not quite sure he has quite the feel in the pocket that Burrow showed at LSU, but you see, even when you get to the NFL, no matter how good that feel is, you can get roughed up, as Burrow found out this year. But Fields uniting with Joe Brady, I think that's a match made in heaven. If that trade really does happen, I would love to see that. And we've seen other mocks where Fields becomes like the quarterback four or something and, and just, just falls into Carolina's lap. That would be great, too. Um, but we've also talked about this, I think, last week when I said uh, Mike Tannenbaum said that the floor for Mac Jones was eight to Carolina. So is it possible that Carolina would favor a Mac Jones? I don't think so. If they have both, if they have the, uh, both guys on the table, I think Fields is the guy. But this, this is one of the first, tra- uh, first mocks that I can remember that had them trading up for Fields. So, you know, you go from there, and the next pick is the Atlanta Falcons at four. They McShay has them taking Trey Lance. So there's two things here. One, the first four picks are quarterbacks. That's always something that we see, I think, early in the process. It's this always a, a mock draft thing. It's it's not a uh, it's not a real thing usually, right? It's it's a big mock draft thing. Like we'll see, uh, this mock draft has seven quarterbacks in the first round, and that'll get whittled down eventually. But four in a row really is an eye catcher. Well, and it's the reason it's interesting is because as you said, the fields trade up, it makes sense, but to see the Falcons go with Lance when, you know, their clock is running out on, on Matt Ryan is interesting. Um, especially with the idea that we've seen, the the New Orleans Saints and kind of their their failure obviously you know the Arizona Cardinals failure uh, to prepare for life after Carson Palmer when Bruce Arians was here 
Uh, and then, and you know, and then as we said with the Saints and Breeze, you can even kind of lump the Steelers and Big Ben in there. They, you know, these teams are are grinding out the clock, and it's not really, you know, not really prepared. Lance there would be really interesting because he's, you know, one, he, it would be an ideal situation just in terms of him being able to sit for a year or two while, while Ryan finishes out his career. But two, it's, it'd be interesting to, you know, not give Ryan a chance to finish what he started in Atlanta. We saw that last year with Green Bay when they took Jordan Love in the first round and, and you know, Aaron Rodgers just went and had an MVP season. But they definitely could have used a, a corner or or maybe another offensive lineman um, in the playoffs as opposed to Jordan Love sitting on the sideline. So it, it's that it's that balance that you have to strike and figure out. Um, I just think there's no way we see four quarterbacks go to start the draft, right? No, I don't think so. And this is a weird connection for me, like you said. It seems like the kind of pick that a team would make if they were rebuilding and if they had, you know, maybe they – surprise it i i don't think there's any talk about trading matt ryan but it seems like an odd pick and and when you could get a guy that could actually help out with the players the veteran players that you have there right now and and try and shore up the defense maybe or or you know just go in another direction if you if if quarterback is in such hot demand that would be a great opportunity for the falcons to trade back and really reap the benefit of having a, a valuable pick in a what looks like a quarterback rich draft and be able to move back. Um, I wanted to talk about the, the next quarterback that goes off the board because McShay's got an, another one. It's the 49ers trading up again. So, so there's two teams trading up in these scenarios to draft quarterbacks and the Niners are trading up to take the fifth quarterback in the first nine picks with Mac Jones, which Seth, you and I found curious because from what we've heard, the quarterbacks that are coveted by Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers are Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. I haven't heard a lot of buzz about the Niners loving Mac Jones. And I feel like Mac Jones is... You, are they are they just kind of getting into another Garoppolo situation there? Is he is he a big upgrade? Well, I mean, let's be fair. Allegedly, Kyle Shanahan still loves Kirk Cousins, and so that would I mean make sense from stylistic comparison. Trading up to nine for for a young Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins, right? But yeah, I mean that's it'd be interesting. I bet he to could see. get the real Kirk Cousins if he if he really wanted to. <laughs> right, exactly. So yeah, but it's interesting to see that because the way McShay's mock unfolds, you've got four quarterbacks in the top four, then you go to uh, Penny Stool to the to the Bengals, then you go to uh, then you go to. Kyle Pitts to the Eagle. And that uh, and that one makes sense now that we heard today that uh, the Eagles owner, Jeff Lurie, has kind of put out a mandate 
this this was Chris Mortensen reporting that Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie w- w- intends to, uh, you know, for his general manager and his coaching staff to build around Jalen Hurts this year. So maybe that is some something they put out there to try and throw teams off from trying to trade in front of them for a quarterback. But it seems like they're actually in a situation where they would take a skill player like a, a Pitts. That would be a great fit for a young quarterback to, to give him that kind of receiving weapon and uh, try and see what you have in Hurts because they did spend a second round pick on Hurts. And they would look quite foolish, I think, taking a, trying to take a quarterback at six without giving Hurts a look. And I don't know then, if that's the right thing to do. Like, are there better quarterbacks in this draft than Jalen Hurts? I think there are. But, again, uh, they would have egg on their face if they had taken this guy. They trade Carson Wentz. They've given Hurts a chance to start, and he, he did all right for a rookie second-round pick. He was thrown in to the fire late in the season. So, I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't try to help him out and give him some weapons. He's, he's a weapon himself with his running ability, and he has uh, – you know, he has that playmaking ability because of his ability to move the pocket. And from Pitts, uh, we finally get a wide receiver off the board. And what many are saying is, you know, one of the better drafts for wide receivers in a long time. The Lions take Jamar Chase. You know, that makes sense. That gives them some flexibility with Kenny Galladay. They can franchise him. They can they can try to work out a long extension. If not, you know, they've got what looks to be an alpha wide receiver there. The Dolphins kind of reap the benefits. And, and you talked about it with the Falcons. That move down from five or from three to eight, five spots, and you get Devontae Smith still. Um, you know, when there's rumblings that they could take either Chase or Smith at three, that'd be, I mean, that's just a home run. It's another example of a, a team helping out the young quarterback that they just took last year, too. So uh, indi- indications that the Dolphins aren't ready to move on you know, just yet from Tua. And I think Chase, going back to Chase, he's a great fit for a guy like Jared Goff, too. He's a good security blanket. It, it's And then, then you get the Mac Jones trade. You know, one of the things that I'm always interested in with these trades is it, it's really easy to do a trade in a first round only mock because you don't really have to identify what you're giving up and what's going back and all of that. Uh, so that's always interesting to me. We kind of, you know, we'll skip through quite a bit here, but you go down um, to pick 21 with the, with the Indianapolis Colts and you get a little bit of a run all of a sudden on, on pass rushers. Uh, he's, he's got, uh, well, to back up real quick, McShay has Quiddy pay as the first kind of pass rusher off the board at 14 to the Vikings, but then he's got a run on pass rushers. The Colts at 21 take Greg Rousseau, uh, the Titans at 22 take Jalen Phillips, and then the Jets at 23 take uh, Aziz Adulari. Those is this class, despite you know the importance of pass rushers, is it just not that 
talented of a, a class that you're going to see guys going in the top, you know, 10, which is typically where you find, you know, those elite pass rushers. Yeah, the pass rush class seems to be hurt the most by the uneven season that we had. And and I think there's a little just a little bit of uncertainty. Like, you know, Quiddy Pay, he didn't play very many games this year. And so he doesn't have the big sack numbers that you want from a top defensive end. But he is supposedly a freak athlete, so he's gonna that's gonna push him up. Rousseau is a guy that draft Twitter just seems to completely have soured on. And uh, and we'll talk about that more as we move through this draft process. But Greg Rousseau had uh, such a huge uh, freshman year, redshirt freshman year. He was right neck and neck statistically with Chase Young. And then he uh, uh, Rousseau opted out this year. So we don't have 2020 tape on him. And I think people are concerned that he might not be explosive or fast enough. But he's a huge guy. Uh, Colts getting him there, I think, would be great value. And then you have Jalen Phillips going to the Titans. And that this, this is a player who transferred from UCLA, at one point had retired because of injury, and then transfers to another Miami product. And he's a player that I know some people think has the most upside of any of the pass rushers in this class. So Ojulari is a guy who weighs about 240 pounds. So there may be some concerns that he, that you'd be getting like a, a brick, a Barkevious Mingo type of prospect with this guy, because he's so explosive. He gets around the corner, but uh, you worry about his size fitting with every team that needs a pass rusher. So it's, I think that it is a strong possibility that you see these pass rushers start to slip because of the uncertainty around all all of those guys for the reasons I, I mentioned. And I'm going to go to the Cleveland Browns at 26. McShay has them taking Zayvon Collins. The only way the Browns are going to take Zayvon Collins at 26 is if they also view him as a defensive end prospect or a pass rusher because – and that's really not what he did at Tulsa. He was off the ball. He's a big guy, 260 pounds. But the way Tulsa used him was more like a way that uh, he he drew Anthony Barr comparisons because that's kind of how Tulsa used him, the way uh, the Vikings ended up using Anthony Barr. So I don't believe Cleveland's in the market for a linebacker in the first round, but they are in the market for a pass rusher. If they view Zayvon Collins as a player who come off the edge and rush the passer, that would be a good bookend with with Miles Garrett. That's not how I see Collins, and he's a player I like quite a bit. But I know that Dane Brugler, for example, I, I believe he does view him as an edge player. So that that could be the uh, impetus behind that pick for McShay. Two running backs going in McShay's mock, uh, 23, I believe it is, 23-24. Uh, 24, Najee Harris to the Steelers, and then 30, Travis Etienne to the Buffalo Bills. Um, both those seems like natural fits, but Etienne could be, in that Bills offense, could be just a complete difference maker. Wouldn't you agree? I like that because I think he's probably what they would would like Devin Singletary to be, and Etienne has just so much more speed 
and he's a little bit bigger of a guy too. So that's a good fit, I think. Um, Najee Harris going to the Steelers just seems like he just seems like a Steelers running back. He's like the size of James Conner coming out of college, but with better athleticism. So I get that fit as well. Um, the one I see here that that uh, I like is the Ravens taking Terrace Marshall because I like that I view Marshall as a player who could go in the late first round, and I so I like that McShay uh, seems to. Be, agree or at least be hearing that from the league and i think marshall would give uh, lamar jackson another good receiving weapon although for marshall's sake as far as stats wise i don't think it's probably his favorite landing spot and then chiefs with nick bolton and i'm going to throw out my take on this i think nick bolton is a fine college player i think he's a good linebacker but i just get vibes of um, like a Paul Dawson. And that was a linebacker that draft Twitter just loved. The draft Knicks loved until he worked out at his combine and he ran in the four eights. And that, I, I think Nick Bolton is going to end up testing more like in the four, high four, mid to high four sevens, the four eight in the 40, if he does run one, if he opts to run one. So if he runs faster than that, it'll surprise me. But I see him in mock draft after mock draft, and I but I don't view him as a first-round prospect. We'll wrap up this episode of the Original Draft Breakdown podcast with a look at some hot takes. That's coming up next on the Original Draft Breakdown podcast. We're back finishing up this episode of the Original Draft Breakdown podcast, episode 102 and just a couple today uh friend of the show john shipley uh, on twitter had a has an interesting take you can uh, see john's work uh, he covers the jacksonville jaguars for the jaguar report uh, and then uh, on twitter at underscore john underscore shipley uh, he's a big fan of a guy we talked about earlier, J.C. Horn of South Carolina. Um, he's got him as his top corner in the draft. It's not a super hot take because I think most people would agree Horn is the consensus cornerback three. But it's interesting that he's he's the guy over, uh, you know, Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertain, because those are the really the only two uh, guys we see as the cornerback ones in this class. Yeah, McShay had Sertain going to the Cowboys tenth overall, and then he had uh, Caleb Farley, who we talked about last week, a, a player who runs probably in the four threes. You know, he's he said four two four, but let's be realistic and say if he runs a four three four um you know either way he's extremely fast and he's a big guy and he's got tape of him blowing guys up and making tremendous plays on the ball so i think people you know sertan has the pedigree his father played in the nfl farley making all his plays on the ball you don't see horn as the as the cornerback one very often and and usually McShay's got him going, uh, let's see, 16th, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, going to your Cardinals, actually. 
And we often see Horn even dropping into the 20s in mock drafts. And I think that's a good spot for him. He's a great player, uh, a very good prospect, and he's got a lot of attributes that I like in a cornerback. He's, he gets physical and he gets in guys' faces. Um, so, you know, like you said, not a super hot take, but just an, an interesting perspective to see him ranked above those other guys. And, you know, to be frank, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, where I'm going to land on that either. Um, I haven't really got around to uh, to really finalizing my cornerbacks. So knowing that, I mean, it'll be something that's in the back of my mind. I'm not going to let it influence me one way or the other, but it definitely raised an eyebrow. Then, uh, you know, the final hot take of, of tonight is um, another mock draft. Uh, Chad Reeder of NFL.com did a four-round mock draft, which is incredibly uh, brave. Some might even say uh, foolhardy at this time of year. Uh, but he did a four-round mock draft for NFL.com. And did it have trades, Seth? I don't, I don't think so. I only read, to be, <laughs> to be fair, I only read the Cardinals parts of it, and that's what this hot take is from. Right. Um, you know, so the Cardinals picked 16th, 49th, and then seven, eh, late 70s, early 80s in the third round. I honestly couldn't tell you. But uh, Reader had the Cardinals taking Horn at 16. Super realistic, you know, even likely at this point. They The Cardinals literally just have a cornerback on their roster at this point, um, which is unheard of in the NFL. But, you know, great roster management stuff. Uh, but <laughs> in in the second round, he has the Cardinals taking a wide receiver. Not unexpected. I mean, you, you know, we've seen guys like uh, Terrace Marshall that we talked about earlier, uh, Tylen Wallace, um, Amon St. Ra, uh, Brown. Uh, Make it Rashad he, Bateman in that area. Yeah, I mean, just a bunch of guys. Uh, no, none of those guys. Um, a name that we've talked about, not on this podcast, but we've talked about on the uh, on the Rise Up Sea Red Arizona Cardinals podcast, Frank Darby at 49th overall ahead of Terrace Marshall. Um, th- that was bananas to me. Well, he's going for the Homer pick. You know, Darby's an ASU guy in Arizona State, a Sun Devil. But even among the Homer por- portion of the Arizona Cardinals fan base, that would be infuriating, wouldn't it? I mean, Robert, you're a, you're a Cardinals fan like me. What would your reaction be if they took Frank Darby at, with a 49th pick in the draft? <laughs> I know, Seth. You and I talked to to uh, honestly at this to point, Jess Root I don't know what I went when you Steve, you all had me on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast a few weeks ago, and uh, I think Jess would be pretty shocked by that, right? Oh yeah, I mean that would be it would just be bananas to see him go that high, but then. But then in the, he followed it up in the third round. And this is, you know, you know, again, like I haven't done a ton of work um, on these late round guys, but I have looked at them uh, and, you know, and then I've done a lot of reading, uh, especially guys I trust. You know, we talked a little bit about Emory Hunt and and these guys. 
And he had the Cardinals taking a running back. Uh, is it Larry Roundtree, the third? Right. Yeah, Larry <laughs> Roundtree from Mizzou. And I just what were they were were the Cardinals like intoxicated on Senior Bowl practice tape where they were going to take Darby and Roundtree guys who look really you know, pretty good in, in one-on-ones in some aspects of their game, but there was nothing that stood out about either one of those guys that I saw either during the season when when they were playing games or in those practices in the Senior Bowl where you'd be like, I'm going to spend a day two pick on these guys. No, these, these players to me are day three players. Um, Roundtree was a guy who I thought showed good all-around game and senior bowl practice like he was a good pass protector he did all right catching the ball and he has a solid career at mizzou but you've got so many running backs in this draft and some of them have you know you might have a guy that has a 4-3 or a guy that caught you know 80 passes in his career like michael carter a 4-3 guy like jv and hawkins and out of louisville but you're going to take larry roundtree in the third round and i don't know from chad's mock draft maybe those guys are gone but you could do better than that pick. I mean, that's just that that is a, a taking a a running back who is he was who's very sound, but he's not. You know, he's a he's a late round guy, an undrafted free agent type. That's gonna wrap up this episode of the original draft breakdown podcast. We'll have another episode on Friday if you are a subscriber to our um, soon to be activated patreon uh we appreciate you listening this is our free episode for the week um and we'll be back soon with another episode of the original draft breakdown podcast thanks for listening everybody what do you guys think for the outro for now um i mean I don't know yet. We pro- we might be able to record something. We can for now we could do um